0: Hey there, my name is Madison and I'm one of the pastors at Kynos Church in Portland, Oregon. This teaching you're about to listen to is from one of our Kynos collectives. These gatherings happen once a month, typically the first Sunday of the month, and serve as a time for us to worship together and learn from the scriptures. On the following Sundays of each month, we gather in smaller groups inside homes. We call these Kynos communities. Here we share a meal and discuss the Bible together. For more information about Kynos, feel free to visit kynospdx.org. The hope of Kynos Church is that we are people finding fresh and fulfilled life in Jesus. Uh, My name is Jake. I am one of the pastors here at Kynos. And my wife Madison earlier said that she is so glad to be with you on this day in this place. And she mentioned she's wearing a shirt that looks like an Easter egg. Uh, I woke up this morning with a zit on my face. It's about the size of an Easter egg, so uh, that wasn't the most fun thing. But other than that, this has been an amazing morning. I am so thankful to be with you. You know, listening to these stories from the Botas, from Rob, stories of disappointment and hope, stories of sorrow and joy, loss and new life, they remind me of where I was two years ago on this day, Easter of 2020. COVID was brand new in the United States, and like every one of you, it had flipped my world upside down. My wife Madison's employer had just closed down. I was working as a substitute teacher and unfortunately you don't get paid for being a substitute teacher when there's no classes to substitute for. We were filled with a level of confusion, worry, and anxiety that I'm sure many of you have felt at some point over these past two years. And at the time, Madison and I were living up on Hayden Island in an apartment in North Portland. And in this apartment complex, we had some awesome neighbors. One of them, was an older woman named Sarah. Sarah is an eccentric, lively woman who can talk to you for hours about literally any subject. She has the energy of a child, even though she is in her 70s. When we first met Sarah in our apartment, we also got to know her husband, Joe. Joe was a veteran of the U.S. military who had a big mustache and an even bigger smile. But a few weeks before Easter, we noticed that Sarah, who uses a walker to get from place to place, she was walking their dog alone. I started talking with her, And heartbreakingly, her husband, Joe, had just passed away days before COVID had flipped our whole world upside down. She had been in her apartment alone, grieving his loss all by herself. And over these next few weeks, while I was processing my own confusion, my own doubt, my own grief, I experienced Easter in a brand new way through my neighbor, Sarah. On Easter Sunday, 2020, Madison, Sarah, and I, we participated in an online Easter service, which was new in and of itself, But then we got together for a potluck meal, sitting six feet apart. Being with Sarah, as she processed her grief, the loss of her husband living alone. It brought tears to my eyes. But what has stuck so vividly in my mind all these years later is the memory of how deeply she believed a new life was awaiting both her and Joe, her husband. Her grief was real and palpable, but a living expression of what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. This is what it says. We don't have to mourn as if we have no hope. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose, so we also believe that God will bring with him those who have died in Jesus. You see, Sarah believed that the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus changed everything. She believed that the promise of Easter was an invitation to experience fresh life. And she believed that death was not the end of Jesus' story. It was not the end of Joe's story or her story. And it did not have to be the end of our story either. But why? Why did Sarah believe this? Why do I believe this? Why have a multitude of men and women, boys and girls from every corner of the world for the past 2,000 years come to believe this? That is what I would love to talk about just briefly for a few minutes this morning. You see, the Bible is a complex and beautiful collection of ancient stories and books that is building to this climactic moment. The arrival of a specific character called the Messiah. The Messiah. Messiah is a Hebrew word. It was translated into Greek. It's where we get the word Christ. And in English, it most literally means Savior. And for thousands of years, the Jewish people believed that the Messiah was coming to save them. And as the tension in the Bible is building towards this climactic moment, the story introduces us to a person called Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth was not a fancy town. It was not the capital. There was a saying in the day, what good can come from Nazareth? It was not a great neighborhood. And while there has been a great deal of debate about this man, Jesus of Nazareth, over the past 2,000 years, a few things are pretty universally agreed on. Jesus was a real living human being from Nazareth whose life caused quite an impact and stir on the people of his day. Not only does the Bible account for this, but additional reliable ancient texts such as the writings of the Roman historian named Tacitus, who was living at the same time as Jesus, and another Jewish historian of the day named Josephus. What is debated, however, during Jesus's life and afterwards is whether or not this important person, Jesus, was the Messiah. This past Sunday in our kinos communities, in our house churches, we discussed the story known as the Triumphal Entry, where Jesus came to the city of Jerusalem for the Jewish religious holiday known as Passover. The Passover was and still is the most important week of the year to the Jewish people. It just started on Friday, Because it's a time in which they remember every year how God had saved them when they were slaves in the land of Egypt. And throughout this week-long celebration of the Passover, Jesus picked up on that message of God saving us. And he shared how that was exactly his mission. Jesus had come to save humanity from sin and death. And two of the many people who spent that week with Jesus listening to him were named Simon Peter and Mary of Magdala. Simon Peter was one of Jesus's disciples, or what we would now call a student, who had previously worked as a fisherman in a small Jewish town called Capernaum. It's likely that Peter was a fisherman because he was not educated or skilled enough to work a more well-paying job. And one morning, while he was on the job, he had just had an unsuccessful night of fishing. Peter met Jesus of Nazareth as he pulled into shore. This man, Jesus, told him to throw out his net one more time, which I can imagine being a little frustrating after you've just spent about 12 hours not catching a single fish. But despite his earlier lack of success, Peter does it. And to his surprise, he catches so many fish that the net he was using to catch the fish started to rip. As Peter watched on this miracle in shock and wonder, Jesus invited Peter to come and follow him, become one of his students. And you better believe that the moment Jesus asked, Peter jumped at that opportunity. Becoming the student of a rabbi was a much better life than being a fisherman. So Peter was all in. And Peter was really an all in type of dude. He was passionate, a natural leader who wore his heart on his sleeve. In fact, on the night that Jesus was eating the Passover meal with his friends, which Justin was talking about a little bit ago, the passage that we now refer to as the Last Supper or communion, Jesus shared how he was about to be betrayed before that very night was over. When Peter hears this, he immediately jumps up and promises, Jesus, I will follow you anywhere you go, no matter the cost, no matter the circumstances, even if it leads to death. Now, Mary Magdala, on the other hand, was quite different from Peter. She was also from a small, seemingly insignificant town on the western shores of the Sea of Galilee. But as a woman, she was afforded very little respect, acknowledgement, or opportunity for leadership by the culture around her. Because of this patriarchal culture, it was extremely unlikely, maybe even non-existent, to find women being given the chance to become disciples of a rabbi or a teacher. But that is exactly what Jesus did. In a society dominated by men, Jesus repeatedly upheld women as worthy and valuable. Mary became one of Jesus' earliest followers, along with other women like Joanna of Chusa, Susanna, Salome, Martha, and other women named Mary. Mary was a very common name in those days. In addition to following Jesus, these brave women also helped provide financially for Jesus' ministry. Pause for a moment and imagine with me the amount of hope and belief that these two and many others had invested into Jesus. You see, they had left their entire lives to follow him. They left behind comfort, security, and everything familiar. It was their deeply held hope that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the Savior. And in in being so, that he would deliver them from the oppressive Roman Empire, which dominated the Jews of these days. They were hoping that Jesus's entrance into Jerusalem during Passover of all weeks was the beginning of a new story where Rome would be overthrown and they... Would return to power. So, when this moment comes where Jesus is arrested and he doesn't fight it and he's handed over to the Roman military, you can imagine how crushed Peter and Mary would have been. The Gospel of Mark tells us that while Jesus was on trial, Peter was standing in a courtyard, kind of like a little area right outside here. He was standing outside the building, frightened, and listening to see what would happen to his friend, the man that he thought was the Messiah. And Mark's gospel tells us this. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. She saw that Peter was standing around a fire, warming himself, a bit like I was needing to do this morning. She looked closely at him. You were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But Peter denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, Peter denied it. After a little while, those standing near to Peter said, surely you are one of them for you are a Galilean. And Peter began to call down curses and he swore to them. I don't know this man that you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed and Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken to him before the rooster crows. And this night is over. You will disown me three times. And Peter broke down and wept. Overcome by fear and disappointment in what was transpiring, Peter gave up. He disowned Jesus. And upon realizing what he had done, he broke down because I imagine that he was filled with shame and guilt. Mary, on the other hand, could not look away as she was overcome with grief and heartbreak. The Gospel of John tells us that when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them with the undergarment remaining. They're embarrassing Jesus. And near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, and Mary Magdalene. You see, friends, we all experience grief in different ways. While Peter couldn't find the courage to stand by his friend as he was killed, Mary could not find the strength to look away. And as Jesus took his very last breath and died, this process of grief continued for his friends. Peter and many of the other disciples actually went into hiding, afraid of being considered an accomplice to a man who had just been given the death penalty. But Mary cannot think of doing anything but mourning Jesus' loss. Mark's gospel tells us that a follower of Jesus named Joseph of Arimathea bought some linen cloth, took the body of Jesus down off the cross, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb, and Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Think with me for a moment. Imagine with me what it must have felt like to be Peter, Or Mary to wake up on Saturday and realize that this had not been a dream Jesus your friend your teacher your rabbi the person that you had entrusted your entire life to have been brutally and unjustly murdered where could you go from here where could you turn to find hope I think about what Rob said even in these moments the hope that we have in our faith or whatnot is so put into question it feels like what is even the point of life And you see, friends, I don't think that these emotions are only things that Peter or Mary felt 2,000 years ago. I think these are emotions that I have felt and you have felt. Hopelessness, loneliness, the heartbreaking loss of a loved one, the diagnosis of cancer, feelings of shame or guilt or inadequacy. Peter felt them. Mary of Magdala felt them. You see, this is what my friend Sarah felt in April of 2020. It's what Rob felt in his diagnosis. And I'm sure... If you look at your own heart and your own life, you have experienced these things as well. But friends, this was not the end of the story. While Friday and Saturday were filled with grief and loss, the greatest moment in human history was just around the corner on Sunday. Mark chapter 16 tells us this. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who's going to roll the stone away for the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You were looking for Jesus Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Look. But go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now, did you catch that little note? Go tell his disciples and Peter. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But for now, imagine with me what Mary must have felt in this moment bewilderment, shock, confusion, doubt. What had happened to Jesus' body? John's gospel tells us this. So Mary came running. To Peter and the other disciples, the one who Jesus loved, and said, Look, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Notice that she doesn't believe what the man has said at first. He said, Hey, Jesus rose from the dead. She comes back to her friends and says, His body's gone. Someone stole it. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. They go running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him. And he goes immediately in. Peter's just a bold guy. He's walking right in. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus's head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. But Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. You see, while Peter and John are now also filled with shock and bewilderment. Mary seems even more crushed than before. Not only has her rabbi been killed, but now supposedly his body has been stolen as well. John 20 continues with the story, saying this: So Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. And they asked her, "Woman, why are you crying?" "They've taken my Lord away," she said. And I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. Think, she thinks he's dead. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Jesus called her name. And upon hearing her name, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher. But Jesus said, Mary, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the risen Lord. My friends. Death was not the end of Jesus' story. And because it was not the end of Jesus' story, it was not the end of Mary's story either. Think about the significance of Jesus appearing to Mary before anyone else. In those days, a woman's testimony was not welcomed in a court of law or really in their culture at large. In fact, one of the earliest historical accounts that we found of those who were opposed to Christianity tried to largely discredit the story of Jesus' resurrection because it was based on the testimony of, and I quote, A half-frantic, emotional woman. (laughs) But misogyny, being a part of their culture, would not stop Jesus. Neither would death. Jesus chose to reveal himself to Mary, a forgotten, overlooked woman. And tasked her with being the apostle to the apostles. The first person to share how the resurrection of Jesus had changed their whole life. What the Votas and Rob did this morning. That is what Mary did. She ran to her friends and proclaimed she had seen the risen Lord, Jesus, the Messiah. The Messiah. To Mary, Jesus' death and resurrection immediately changed everything. But what about for Simon Peter? John's Gospel tells us that a few hours after seeing Mary of Magdala face to face, Jesus met with his other students, his other disciples, and he showed them that he had indeed risen from the grave. Certainly you would think this would immediately change Peter's life too. But apparently, it didn't. In the final chapter of John's Gospel, the story tells us that despite Jesus' earlier words that Peter would be one of the first leaders of the church, Peter had given up on this life. He had returned to the Sea of Galilee, the city in Capernaum, where his journey had started. And you know what job he had taken up? Fisherman. That job he had quit, full of hope, he'd gone back to, hopeless. I have to believe that even though Peter had seen Jesus and believed he had risen from the dead— He was too overcome with guilt and shame over the things he had done to really choose to follow Jesus again. You see, there's such a piece of me that knows what that feels like. Maybe you do too. Maybe you believe, hey, Jesus really did die and rise again, but if you only knew what was inside me, if you only knew the things that I had done, the mistakes that I had made, maybe God loves you. Maybe God loves Mary, but He doesn't love me. If so, you know what Peter felt like. But, friends, Jesus did not die and rise again for Peter or for us to have a story that is marked by shame or guilt. As Peter went out to fish that night, he is completely unsuccessful. He doesn't catch a single fish, just like the night three years earlier when his whole life was flipped upside down. And as he and his friends pull in support, early that next morning, a man is on the shore and he yells to them, Hey, throw your net out one more time on the other side of the boat. Reluctantly, they do it and they catch. So many fish that the net begins to rip. As they get closer to shore, they look up and they realize the man on the shore is Jesus. Jesus repeats the exact same miracle from the beginning of his relationship with Peter once again. And then he invites Peter, take some of these fish, come eat breakfast with me. And they sit around a fire. Now imagine what's going through Peter's mind as he sits around a fire, smelling those burning coals. When was the last time Peter stood around a fire? when Jesus was being led away and arrested, when he denied three times that he even knew Jesus. You know a smell that reminds you of somebody, like I smell this perfume and it reminds me of my grandmother to this day. She's passed away. When I smell that perfume, it just evokes memories of her. And I, I can imagine Peter standing around that fire and the memories are flooding back of the moment when he denied Jesus three times. It seems clear to me that Jesus is taking Peter back to all the moments in their story, the good, the bad, the bad, And the ugly. And it's here that Jesus asked Peter the most important question. John chapter 21. When they finished eating, Jesus asked Peter, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me? Simon Peter replied, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. Jesus asked a second time, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me? Simon Peter replied, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, take care of my sheep. And he asked a third time, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was sad that Jesus asked a third time, do you love me? And he replied, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And after saying this, Jesus said to Peter, two words, follow me. Just as as Jesus had brought Peter back to the moment where he saw a miracle and the massive catch of fish, and he repeated it again, Jesus brings Peter back to a moment around a fire where a question is asked of Peter three times. But this time Jesus asks, Peter, "Not do you know me? Peter, do you love me? It's a resurrection story. I can imagine Peter's voice quivering as he says each time, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he must have been wondering if Jesus was setting him up to say, well, you betrayed me, so now I'm going to betray you. But instead, Jesus simply responds with two things. Feed my sheep and follow me. Now what the heck does Jesus mean by feed my sheep? Okay? In those days, one of the most common but low-paying jobs in their culture was being a shepherd. And Jesus often used this as an analogy for what it meant to be like him. We are to love others the way a shepherd loves their sheep, being willing to put oneself in danger to protect their flock. He's showing Peter that Peter doesn't have to prove himself to anyone. Peter has been fully forgiven. The only thing Jesus is tasking Peter with doing is loving his neighbors, taking care of God's sheep. And then just as he had three years before on the sea of the shore of Galilee, Jesus invites Peter again, follow me. These two simple words, which had changed Peter's life once before, are an invitation to new life once again. You see, Jesus didn't guilt trip Peter or anyone ever into following him. He never shamed anyone or bullied anyone into following him. He simply gave them an invitation. And friends, these two words are the same words I believe Jesus wants to speak to each one of us this Easter morning. Follow me. Maybe you have been a Christian for some time, but it's been a while since you really made space for God in your life. Maybe you feel guilt or shame for your past, like Peter. Friends, I believe that this morning, Jesus wants to invite you to follow him again. Maybe you are hearing this story, and like Mary of Magdala, you are wondering what all of this means. You're filled with questions and curiosity about Jesus. And maybe, like Mary, you are coming to believe that Jesus' resurrection has changed everything. Maybe for the first time, you are hearing this invitation to follow Jesus, and you want to say yes. If you feel your heart resonating with any of these stories, whether it's Rob's or the Votas, my elderly friend Sarah, or the friends of Simon Peter or Mary of Magdala, we believe that that is one of the ways that God is working in our lives, the way that he speaks to us today. I've never heard a voice from the sky. I hear God just in these little moments in my life where I feel a nudge in my heart. You see, we remember that just as Jesus invited men and women, young and old, rich and poor, fishermen and tax collectors to come and follow him, we believe that he invites all kinds of different people to follow him today too. So if you feel that invitation, that tug on your heart to follow him today, for the first time or once again, we want to celebrate that with you. Underneath your seat, I feel like Oprah a little bit right now. Underneath your seat, it's not keys to a new car, but underneath your seat, is a little card and a pin. And if you are wanting to make a decision today to say yes to that invitation from Jesus, to choose to follow him, we want to invite you just to write that down and share it. If you are currently on a journey of following Jesus and you are uh, wanting to celebrate or grieve or process something with someone, if there's something you need prayer for, or maybe you're looking for a church community to be a part of, if you like music and want to be part of a band, we invite you to just jot that down on one of these cards as well. Friends, there is a community of people here who are committed to journeying with you and with one another through the highs and the lows of this life, discovering what it means to follow Jesus together. And if you fill out that card, feel free to just leave it face down on your seat. We'll come by and collect those in a little bit, or you can give it to myself or to Madison or to Justin. Um, But I want to, at this moment, just pause uh, and take a moment to pray. Uh, We're going to, after this, sing one more song, and then we're going to have a moment uh, of baptisms. We're almost finished here, but if you will, just take a moment with me uh, and pray just before we we sing this final song. Jesus, we thank you for the fact that death could not hold you. Death could not stop the mission that you were on, Jesus, to save us from our, our sin and our death. And Jesus, we celebrate that death was not the end of your story. Grief was not the end of your story. Loss was not the end of your story, Jesus. And because of your resurrection, because you rose from the grave, death and grief and loss doesn't have to be the end of our story either. Jesus, you are inviting us into new, fresh life. God, we thank you and we celebrate today the hope of that resurrection. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.